You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Before I get started, I want to share two things. First, is that our plans are always written in pencil and God's plans are always written in ink. Our plans are always written in pencil and God's plans are always written in ink. And I say that uh, because today the plan was for camp to preach out of Matthew, as your bulletin says. But then last night he got really sick. So I'm happily stepping in uh, to preach and we'll be looking at Psalm 1 today. Psalm 1. Uh, That's a change due to some last minute sickness. Uh, We had a number of folks who were supposed to be in the service uh, today. They got sick, uh, in fact. So other folks stepped in at the last minute. Aaron stepped in to lead the service. Kelly stepped in to pray. Neither of them knew they were doing these things before this morning. So this is a chance for our whole church to extend thick grace to each other as we had a lot of people sub in and out. Uh, But honestly, you may not have noticed that we even had subs uh, because Aaron and Kelly both did a great job uh, for us this evening. And seeing them step in reminds me that even when our plans are not God's plans, beloved, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. His no is better than our yes. The Lord is faithful. Uh, And this is something I learned afresh this past week, uh, leading me to my second thing to share. Uh, Because as many of you know, I flew to DC this past week to clean out uh, my mom's house, given that she unexpectedly died a few months ago. And because you love your pastor, I know many of you want to know how that trip went. Uh, Though it was hard and heavy, uh, the trip really was wonderful. I got great time with my four siblings. I'm the baby of five, if you couldn't tell. Uh, I got to see some of my dearest friends. So I'm coming back tired, yes, but also refreshed. Uh, To be honest, I left from my trip pretty discouraged, pretty low. Uh, I felt like I left with my cup empty, like crying in my car by myself, empty. But praise God, I came back home with my cup full, which is another reminder that the Lord is faithful. And friends, where we get a record of God's faithfulness is in his word. And it's God's word the value of it, our desperate need of it that we're going to be thinking about today in Psalm 1. So let's pray and let's begin. Let's pray. Oh Lord, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you? Is a question we often ask. 
but we ask it at the popular level. We follow people on social media in part so that we can see who they are. We ask it at the individual level. In good times, we might be meeting an intriguing person and think, hmm, who are you? In bad times, someone, maybe a child talking back to us, offends us and we think, who are you to say such and such to me? Who are you? We naturally ask as we evaluate others. But friends, today let's take that question and turn it right back to ourselves. Ask yourself, who am I? You might think the question is silly or unnecessarily or oddly introspective, but God doesn't. No, he wants each of us to read our text today and ask, who am I? So please turn with me now to Psalm 1. Uh, It's in the Pew Bibles on page, can someone tell me, Psalm 1? 418, Greg Spence says, page 418. If you're new to the Bible, that big number one is the psalm number. The six numbers after it are the verses. Asking yourself, who am I? Hear now the word of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the way, the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm one almost sounds like a parable or a proverb, doesn't it? We're not sure who wrote this first psalm and when, but it serves as the gateway to the book of Psalms. It establishes the theme of the entire Psalter. That's what the book of Psalms is called. And the theme of Psalm 1 speaks of instruction for holiness and for happiness. Uh, The psalm speaks of the way of the righteous, the blessed, who love God. And because they love God, they love his word, and so they submit to it. Unlike the wicked, they obey it. That's a summary, a 30,000 foot view of the psalm. But as we dive into the psalm, we see it really breaks down nicely into two sections. uh, Verses 1 to 3 and verses 4 through 6. So if you're taking notes, our outline will follow this breakdown. So we'll look at the first section verse, verses 1 to 3, and then the second section, verses 4 to 6. We'll ask ourselves a question. For each of these sections and these secondary questions will help us answer our larger question. Who am I? Okay, so the question for verses 1 to 3 to ask yourself is this. Am I blessed? 
Question or point number one, am I blessed? In verse one, we meet this man or woman. That word man represents a godly person regardless of gender. And this person is blessed. By blessed, the psalmist doesn't mean merely a person who has nice things. No, he means a person who is truly happy. And not just happy in the way we often use the word, but uh, referring to an emotion that comes and goes. No, the psalmist means happy in the sense that this man has a sturdy satisfaction, a growing pleasure in God. Regardless of his circumstances, the blessed person is in a state of well-being because he has known and still knows God's favor. Friend, can you imagine your happiness not being controlled by your circumstances? After all, how is it that someone like the Apostle Paul could be in jail and write such a happy book like Philippians? Beloved, can you imagine your happiness being beyond the reach of your circumstances. This can be the case for those who know God's favor. And how does one who, know, who knows such favor act? He acts rightly, righteously. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, those words, counsel of the wicked, sinners, scoffers, are all meant to describe the unrighteous. Friends, for God, there is a clear difference and a great difference between the right way to live and the wrong way. But is living righteously as simple as doing good things? Is it as simple as ignoring people who we think are wicked? You know, Thanksgiving is around the corner. Maybe you don't want to sit with that family member who offers you a seat at the table. You say, sorry, I'm righteous. Can't listen to the counsel of the wicked. Now, is that right? We don't ever talk to wicked people. Don't ever sit with them, stand with them. Well, no. Uh, Jesus showed us last week in Mark's gospel that he was happy to eat with sinners. Beyond this, all people are made in God's image. And so we're called to love others, to respect them, and do good to them. God's people are those who are called to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. So in verse 1, the psalmist is saying, the blessed man is the person who is not fundamentally characterized by evil actions and wicked company. The psalmist is not saying the blessed man is perfect. No, we all sin. In light of that point, let me just give you this pastoral reminder. Holiness is not marked by the absence of sin so much as it's marked by the hatred of sin. Beloved, a lot of you are fighting sin, but you're discouraged because you've not yet gotten rid of your sin. But the fact that you want to get rid of it, that you want to get rid of your sin, that is its own victory. You used to not want to get rid of your sin. You used to want to keep it. 
but now you want to get rid of it. Eviction notice hasn't fully come yet. You haven't fully gotten it out of there, but praise God, you want to get rid of it. That's something to be encouraged by today. Keep fighting your sin, sisters and brothers. Again, the blessed person, it's not the sinless person, but the person who yearns to be. Sin, of course, is doing what we want instead of what God wants. What clear definitions. Sin is doing what we want instead of what God wants. But the blessed are those who are saddened by their sin and who turn from it. Uh, the blessed don't ultimately turn for themselves, but out of love for God and to the glory of God because they know what God has done for them. So, my friend, what this means is that if your Christianity never challenges the way you live or the people and the things you pursue and surround yourself with, friend, you may have simply made up your own religion. God calls his people to abstain from evil. That's what holiness is in its most basic sense, cleanliness from impurity. Uh, Paul tells Christians to flee evil desires and to pursue righteousness. Don't wait for righteousness to come to you. Pursue it. Chase it. Seek it out like we heard in Proverbs. And friends, that pursuit is hard. Many of you who have been walking with the Lord for years know it's hard to be a Christian. Isn't it? It's hard to fight temptation. Our passions still rage and war within us, James and 1 Peter say. Uh, that's why we can appreciate so much the warning of verse 1 in our psalm. Do you see the progression of those verbs? Walk in the counsel of the wicked. Stand in the way of sinners. Seat, sit in the seat of scoffers. Isn't that how sin works? You think a little bit can't hurt, so you walk with it and those who enjoy it. But before long, you're stuck standing in your sin. It's harder to throw off and suddenly you look up and you are sitting rooted in your sin. I wonder if you're sitting rooted in sin this evening. If you are. Humble yourself before the Lord. Confess to God. The scriptures say that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sisters and brothers, God gives us even more than forgiveness. He gives us other sisters and brothers to help us fight our sin. Christian, we're not called to walk, stand, and sit by ourselves. No, we're called to march with the family of God. Our local church, to be clear, if this church is where you regularly attend, then these are the people you primarily should be walking with in life. Friend, do you love the company of the wicked more than you love the family of God? Are you a blessed person? I speak of love because that's where the psalmist turns in verse two. Negatively in verse one, he talks about what the blessed person avoids, but in verse two, he positively turns to the heart. He says of the blessed person that his delight 
Kelly, I love that word in your prayer. Our delight, she prayed, our delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the psalmist makes clear that righteous acts, what we saw in verse one, are not merely external, but they flow out of the internal, the heart that delights in the law of the Lord. Now, when you see Lord like this in all caps in your Bible, it's not a typo. It means Yahweh. Uh, which was Israel's special name for God. God had a personal relationship with the people of Israel. He chose them not because of anything they did, but simply because he loved them. He kept them and repeatedly delivered them from trouble. Israel usually responded by disobeying, making clear that they didn't deserve such kindness, but because he had every right to, and because he wanted his people to flourish and be happy and be whole and to be distinct, as we sang about earlier, Yahweh, you make us who we are, you're setting us apart, and to know him and to reflect his care way, to, to reflect his character, Yahweh, all of that, he did all of that in giving his people rules specifically through his servant Moses. Rules like the Ten Commandments and other laws that Moses received and kept in the Torah or the Pentateuch, which were the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch was the psalmist's Bible at the time. It's the law of the Lord that the psalmist speaks of in verse two. And the psalmist says the blessed man wants to obey these divine laws. Uh, he wouldn't want to out of his own natural will, but because he has known God's favor, the, the, the righteous person treasures the words of God, not the words of the wicked. His appetite has been transformed. And that's how you can tell someone has been converted. They want things they didn't want before and things no one naturally wants. I mean, imagine a toddler saying, yes, mom, yes, dad, give me broccoli. Might be like something is going, supernatural is going on with this kid. And when we're talking about delighting in God's word, you better believe we're talking about supernatural delight, baby. And those who delight in God's word trust that more blessings come from obeying it. By grace, they understand that a holy life is a life that follows God's instruction and that a holy life leads to a truly happy life. And this seems so backward to us because we live in a world that never associates happiness with obedience. Nevertheless, the blessed person studies God's law. He meditates on it how often? Day and night. Mentioning those two ends of the spectrum, day and night, it's a Hebrew poetic technique that suggests day, night, and everything in between. The blessed meditate all the time, in bright seasons of life, in dark seasons of life, like Sam prayed about. This blessed person is devoted to God's word. Are you a blessed person? Let me make crystal clear that the righteous actions we're speaking of, like delighting in God's word, do not make you right with God. No, they flow out of a heart that has already been declared righteous by God, a heart that knows God's favor is a gracious gift. 
not a reward for any good thing that person has done. So, my sisters and brothers, do you delight in reading and in obeying your Bible? Or has reading what God says become boring to you, mundane? It so often can in the Christian life. So often can for me, I'm a pastor. Friends, if we're honest, Bible reading is hard, isn't it? The Bible is hard to understand sometimes. Many of us have families, doctor's appointments, or just plain old fatigue. Maybe you're thinking, I haven't read my Bible all week, much less once a day. Sometimes encouragements to read God's word sound like encouragements to blind faith. You know, just be quiet and read the Bible. Beloved, what should we do? What should we do when we're discouraged in our Bible reading? We remember that God didn't save us because we read the Bible perfectly, but because of his Christ. We remember that we need not expect a feeling of euphoria every time we read the scriptures. We remember that we can't calculate all the things God is working out in our lives when we read his word. You've heard it said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life. You can see maybe three of them. Or think of it like this. You know when you're flying on a plane, and the flight attendant talks about how if the oxygen mass dropped down, oxygen is flowing, even if the mass doesn't inflate. So last, this past week, took a flight to D.C., no doubt. Flight attendant stands up before we take off. Hey, if the oxygen mass dropped down, bag isn't, there's oxygen coming, even if the bag doesn't inflate. And every airline says that because they know the passenger's temptation will to be think nothing is happening if they can't see anything happening. And so the flight attendant preaches at us saying oxygen is flowing even if the bag doesn't inflate. And we need to hear the same when it comes to reading our Bibles. Beloved, even if you can't see anything happening, oxygen is flowing. Even if it doesn't feel like anything is happening when you read the scriptures, oxygen is flowing. So, read the Bible. Breathe in the word of life. When we're discouraged in our Bible reading, we ought to keep reading scripture and building our knowledge of God because that's what helps fuel our love for God. And we do so by moving forward one foot of faith in front of the next and continuing the work of reading our Bibles. Oh, beloved sisters and brothers, it takes work to read our Bibles. Joy and delight in God do not come naturally. They require sacrifice, commitment, and work. But then again, doesn't every relationship we value require the exact same things? Verse 2 shows us that delight in our God requires work. Look back at it. 
The righteous man who delights in the law of the Lord, he does what? He meditates day and night. And that meditation fuels his delight. But I fear meditation is a lost discipline in the Christian life today. In a world full of Instagram, Instapot, Insta this, Insta that, not condemning any of those things, I use them. But we live in an instant society. This is not an Insta Bible. One of the results of the fall, friends, is a laziness, a mindset that says something easy is good and something hard like meditating is wrong. But what does it mean? Definitions again. What does it mean to meditate? To meditate, Martin Luther, who nailed his 95 thesis to the church door in Wittenberg 505 years ago today. That's Luther, got to get him in on Reformation Day Sunday. Luther says, to meditate is to think carefully, deeply, diligently, and properly. It means to muse in the heart. So, when I bought um, my wife's wedding ring, Megan's wedding ring, the thing fascinated me. For some absurd length of time, I twirled it in front of my face when I got it. I wanted to see every facet, every refraction of light on it. Does it smell like anything? What's it taste like? And don't worry, I didn't actually lick the ring, but you, you get it. But sisters and brothers, God's word, this is the diamond of the church. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Luther goes on to say that scripture is a stone of offense and a rock of scandal for those who are in a hurry. Don't gloss over this diamond. Bible intake is not optional for the Christian. It's basic. This is one of the things I love about being around older Christians, older saints in the faith who model what years of meditating on scripture can do. And let me just say, beloved, this church has been praying for people over the age of 40 to come and God has been answering that prayer. Jane Quedon texted me this morning and said, just so you know, we had 19 people at the Sages dinner. That's what they're calling the 40 and older dinner. Rebrand, the Sages Dinner. Jane said there were 19 people at the Sages Dinner last night. It was fun with a great group of people. We're growing, exclamation point, exclamation point. Lee and Amy, thank you for hosting the Sages Dinner. Beloved, God is answering our prayers. Keep praying for more mature saints who love and who meditate on the scriptures to join this church because they are tremendous testimony to the value of God and his word. Now, it's true, beloved sisters and brothers, that many of us don't have time to meditate, which means we gotta work to make time. It'll likely mean sacrificing some part of our schedule. Might mean some creativity, like listening to a sermon as we drive to work, you know, putting a Bible verse on the index card right there above your sink, taping it there, thinking about it while you're doing your dishes. Or just take one verse, whatever it is. You don't have to read a thousand verses in a private prayer closet to meditate. Look at Psalm 1. There are six verses. 
You can take one verse a day and ask who, where, what, when, why, and how of each one. Who is blessed? Why is he blessed? And run off with the text. That's all I'm doing today. I'm asking questions of the text and seeing what it says. We can meditate on verses one and two longer, but we got to move on. Verse three describes what this blessed, righteous person is like. Such beautiful imagery here. Oh, this one who delights in God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water. So this person is firmly established. He's rooted like a tree. Uh, The water close to him nourishes him, shown in the fact that his leaf does not wither. And his nourishment is shown in what the tree produces, fruit. Fruit. In the Christian life, good fruit is evidence that God is at work in you. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, every good tree will produce fruit. And he had in mind this blessed person. Right? We like apple trees because we like apples. To say it differently, your fruit isn't simply between you and God. No, other people benefit from the fruit that God produces in you as you grow in conformity to his word. So when you read your Bible, in your Bible, that you should serve one another, and you do that in faithful obedience, your Bible reading is benefiting others. You're like an apple tree dropping apples for those around you to feast on. People around godly people prosper. So look around and ask yourself, who am I prospering? Who is spiritually benefiting from being around me? Beloved sisters and brothers, let's love and pray for one another, especially those in our church. I mean, what a prayer Psalm 1 is for someone else. You can meditate on this text by saying, Father, help my husband to delight in your law. Push our deacons to meditate on a day and night. Keep my sister from walking in the counsel of the wicked. Make my grandson, grandson, especially if he's particularly lost, like a tree planted by streams of water so that he may not wither. Friends, taking God's word that he has breathed and praying it back to him is a wonderful habit to develop. One poet said prayer is God's breath returning back to him. Pray to love God's word like the psalmist in Psalm 119 who prays incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain. And it's there that I want to pause and ask if gain is wrong. After all, what about that last line in verse 3 about the blessed person? Look with me. In all that he does, he prospers. Really? Really, God? How can that be true when so much around us tempts us to believe a different story? Beloved, by the world's standards of health and wealth, we might not be prospering. There's a lot of churches that will tell you lies from hell about prosperity, saying that God will give you health and wealth and happiness if you just do such and such. But hear me clearly, friends. By the world's standards of health and wealth, we might not be prospering. But by God's standards, we are prospering if our happiness isn't dependent on stuff, but on Christ. 
the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, consider him, sisters and brothers, who endured from, such, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But before we consider Jesus further, I want to move on to verse 4, which brings us to the second section of this psalm. The question for this section, verses 4 to 6, is this, am I wicked? Question or point number two, am I wicked? When the scriptures are clear, all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, by his grace, has counted some as righteous. What of those who haven't been counted as such? Well, our text implies that the wicked do not have true happiness. They do not submit to God's word out of love for God. They walk in their own counsel, stand stubborn in their own ways, and try to sit on the throne of their own lives and rule them. They do not truly delight in God's law, but sin day and night. They're not planted near streams of water. They wither. Verse 4 explains their state simply by saying that they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, the psalmist agrarian culture would have naturally understood this farming simile. Before I moved to Alabama, I lived in Washington, D.C., so I'm a city boy. This farming talk is like another language to me. But chaff are the husks and straw that get removed when farmers are threshing wheat. In other words, chaff is the bad part, the utterly useless part of the harvest. And unlike the, the firmly rooted tree of verse 3, chaff has no rooting. That's why when the farmers throw thresh wheat into the air, the breeze drives it away. Like our first parents, Adam and Eve, after they sinned in the garden, the wicked are driven away from true blessedness because of their evil works. Uh, In a strikingly similar passage to Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, another good passage to meditate on, but no need to turn there, I'll just read it. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. Notice that fruit can be good, like it was in our first section, or bad, like it's implied to be in our second section. In all sections of life, God is the fruit evaluator. An evaluation Judgment is exactly what we see in verse 5 of Psalm 1. Therefore, it says. What is that therefore, therefore? It's it's there to mark the transition to the conclusion of the psalm. It's there to say that because the wicked have no rooting, verse 5, look with me, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Why? Verse 6, for or because Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Sisters and brothers, 
we will all appear in Yahweh's courtroom. Not as those who pronounce judgment, but as those who will be judged. And the wicked will not make it through this judgment. They will be cast to the place of eternal unrest, hell. And left to our own, none of us will stand in the congregation of God's people, the righteous, because none of us are righteous. So the question is, how do we become righteous in God's sight? And we turn from our sin and we trust in the one who was righteous, Jesus Christ, the son of God. Though Jesus walked among the wicked, stood in the way of sinners and took the mocking of scoffers, though he was tempted as we are, he never gave into temptations because he delighted in Yahweh's law perfectly. Now the law is what he quoted when he fended off Satan's temptation in the wilderness. Like we read about in Mark. Friends, Jesus is the most glorious picture of what the blessed man of Psalm 1 looks like. We are not. We should have been on that cross. Because like Adam and Eve, we took the fruit. But praise God, Jesus is the one who climbed the tree. Instead of being like a tree planted by streams of water, Jesus actually hung on that Roman tree as water streamed from his side. Jesus, the perfect one, withered as the unrighteous on the cross. He, the righteous one, lost everything so that we, the wicked, might prosper. Do you see what I'm saying? Friends, on the cross, Jesus drank the bitter cup so that we might drink the cup of God's blessing. We, we, you and me, we weak little trees can't even save ourselves with our own fruit, but the fruit of Jesus' tree would prove sufficient to cover the sins of anyone who would trust in him. Jesus' fruit would nourish us back to life. And how do we know this? Because three days after his murder, Jesus came back to life. His resurrection proved that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. So now those who put their faith in Christ and turn away from their sins, those who were once wicked can stand in the judgment with confidence. With confidence. They can stand fully forgiven of every sin. They can stand in the congregation of the righteous because they are not judged on the basis of their deeds, but on the basis of Jesus' deeds. As Paul says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him we, the wicked, might become the righteousness of God. Oh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, won't you turn from your sin now, now, and trust in Christ? God commands you to do as much because he wants you to be freed from and forgiven of your sins and have some supernatural delight. And I speak of delight because we all must answer yes to question number two, am I wicked? But praise the Lord that we who trust in Christ can answer yes and amen to question number one, am I blessed? 
Because we know Jesus is our righteousness, amen? amen? This is the good news, sisters and brothers. This is it. We've got no better message than this one. Someone can come up here and preach the gospel better than me, but they cannot preach a better gospel. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we need the word of life and you are the word of life. So help us to cherish and read the words of life you give to us. It's in your name we pray, amen.